0: Hey everyone, this is our last episode of the summer. We will be back in September coming in hot with some episode ideas that I am very excited about, so stay tuned for that. Before we start today, though, I just want to say a big thanks to you for listening. This is a little project that we started because I wasn't really ready to stop talking to my friends about progressive policy, even though we weren't going to be working together in government anymore. Knowing that there are people out there like you who are also passionate about this is so gratifying, and it makes what we're doing every week feel so worth it. So so from Kate, Sam, Alexi, and I, thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing you again in the fall. I also want to send a special shout out to our Patreon subscribers, including Kyle Loveless, Phil Donaldson, and Kareem Bardisi, who signed up this week. We are now at a place where we've been basically able to cover all of our startup and technology costs, pay volunteer honoraria, and invest in some ads. And that would not have been possible without you. And it's contributed in a real way to our growth. So Kareem, Phil, Kyle, uh, and all of you who chip in a little each month, thank you for helping this little enterprise grow. We have two bonus episodes on deck. So you will hear from us a little bit in August, but this is our last legit episode. In the summer. So, without further ado, here's the show.
1: I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily.
0: Bum, bum, bum. Welcome to Ontario Lab, the show about politics, public policy, and current affairs, had between recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin. I'm Alexi White. I'm Sam Andre. I'm Kate Hammer. And today is our last episode of the summer. Woo-hoo! Woo! Summer school's out. Um, we're going to be taking a break for a month. Before we go, we want to do what everyone does before summer, and that is a deep dive on a policy problem child close to all of our hearts, and that is childcare. A side note before we start, uh, we have Kate Hammer in studio today. Hi. In Ontario. <laughs> The BC contingent is reduced to 50% strength.
2: Coming out to work on our tans, enjoy the heat wave.
0: Exactly. So if you have children yourself or grandchildren, nieces, nephews, no people who have children, are aware children exist or occasionally consume news at all, you probably heard that there aren't enough childcare spaces to meet demand. The problem is so bad that parents are forced to put their unnamed embryos on wait lists and that even those who are lucky enough to get a spot are unlikely to be able to afford the fees, which are the highest for an infant spot in Toronto and cost an average of $20,220 per year, according to the Canadian Centre for Policy alternatives. And it's no wonder the families are struggling. The rise in the cost of childcare has outpaced inflation for years. And at the same time, public investment in childcare has flagged. Canada actually ranks near the bottom of the OECD countries for public investment in early childhood education. Childcare is unaffordable to about 80% of Ontario families, according to another study. And so without meaningful public investment, we leave childcare to the free market. And effectively, say those who don't have, say, 20K in disposable after tax income, you are too poor to have children. And you know what? That's 80% of Ontario families. And if that isn't enough, the quality of childcare is critically important to childhood development. This means that stuffing more and more children into the existing system has negative effects on everyone, that we need to attract the best childcare workers through fair wages, which surprise, surprise, we also aren't doing right now. So now that we've duly shamed our record in Ontario on childcare, we are going to take a look at what's going on and what we could be doing in the future. And to help us through this topic, we're going to bring back an old friend, part of the Ontario Loud family, um, and who is one of the reasons why we're talking about childcare and headlines lately. Alphan welcome back to Ontario Loud.
3: Hey, guys, I'm crazy excited to be back uh, although it is weird to be the guest on the show um, I've been listening to all the episodes since I left and super jealous of some of the guests and topics you guys have covered so thanks for having me on for the season finale
0: it's great to have you here um, I really dropped the ball on getting a little soundboard I, I have a little note written by Kate Hammer in the in the guide to say trumpets play and so so listeners will call that Alvin's been on Lee while he focuses on uh, his personal growth and oh also runs for uh, leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party yeah. uh, and so we're having him back today because he came out with a big signature policy initiative that uh, is going to help him define his candidacy. So uh, other candidates, if you have similar big, shiny ideas, and you want to talk about what you want to do as premier in some degree of specificity, we want to talk to you about that. And in the interest of transparency, I think we also need to say that Alvin uh, asked us for policy advice on this one, but how it rolled out, what you brought to it was very much your own. And so, um, you know, well, we aren't involved in your campaign, we're proud to have contributed uh, in our own small way and given you our thoughts on, uh, on child care and, and to talk about it today. So if I'm going to do a little bit of summary of your plan, um, it's pretty ambitious. It starts with improved parental leave benefits for children of up to 18 months and then universal child care for children from that age until they enter kindergarten. Can you walk us through just sort of how you arrived at the plan, how you'd implement it, and I guess how much it would cost Ontario to actually implement this?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, let me start by saying... Uh, this is such a huge priority for people and I'm we intentionally led with this because i think it's so important that uh, we're talking about what we need to do uh, in this space and i need to start by saying thank you to everyone in this room on this pod and Uh, Me and my team spent a number of months working on this proposal, uh, which you can read on the website, albinteja.ca. And our conversations, I say, were very, very helpful uh, to helping us get to where we ended up landing with this plan. Especially you, Kate, everyone in the sector loves you. Um, I I say that, you know, we work together on on the podcast, and they're like, Oh, yeah, they're all interested in hearing how you're doing. And, you know, we were working with Gordon Cleveland, uh, who authored the report, as well as Monica Lysak from Sheridan, who's been a big champion. And I'm really, really proud of where we landed on this policy. But broad strokes. It'll cost the government a net $2.7 billion when the plan's fully implemented over five, 10 years. We're going to hit the ground running if we get elected and or when we get elected in 2022, with preschool rolled out immediately over the first couple of years. At the same time, we're going to start the capital and resource expansion for toddler spaces, all the while continuing our consultation with the sector, including providers, both nonprofit and for-profit providers, parents, ECEs, and post-secondary institutions. We're Doubling the spaces at colleges for ECEs, we're working on um, continuing and enhancing the wage enhancement for ECE, so they're paid, paid fairly. We're talking about doubling the amount of spaces currently for preschoolers children as well as for toddlers. As you mentioned, the enhancement for parental leave, uh, which I've been a huge champion of, trying to get additional time for second parents, fathers into uh, the parental leave system, basically expanding the current twelve month, which is only spread out to eighteen, uh, to actually be a full eighteen, and getting the federal government to do that. But if they won't, then we'll cover it in the meantime, because I think it's incredibly important that we're providing parents with that opportunity. So yeah, it's a big ambitious plan. We're talking about, you know, at least a mandate or two fully rolling out universal accessible to everyone who needs it, everyone who wants it. And we're talking about giving parents choice. We're not forcing anybody to go back to work. We're talking about this is an option, and that we're going to start taking care of your kids in a high quality way.
2: Why is this the plan compared to like, there's so many models out there, right? There's the kind of flat fee, um, $12 a day plan. I mean, BC is rolling out the $10 a day Mm -hmm. plan. There's like fee scales. Like why did you go back to this and why were you interested in this Gordon Cleveland preschool model and building out from there?
3: Yeah, I think... We sometimes get really stuck in the details of policy and we're trying to figure out how to help the most people. And when I say we, I mean, like we as liberals, we as the former liberal government, you know, we were helping people with the free tuition program. We help people with ODSP and Ontario Works. But when we have universal programs, it really brings people together and people understand what it is. And everybody can see themselves potentially benefiting from that type of program. Because everybody knows somebody who would have a kid. And if we don't income test it, it makes it easier for them to understand that, oh, this will be an option for me that I can that I can take in. And that becomes something that people are going to defend. We have universal healthcare. Can people pay for their own healthcare? Sure. There are some people who can pay for their own healthcare, but every time the conservatives or anybody talks about privatizing something, everybody in Ontario stands up and says, no, this is a right for everybody. And I want that for education. I want that for, for childcare um, so that everybody can see themselves as part of this. You know, this is going to benefit all of society. Uh, And this is why. Right. And if we get too cute by saying, oh, it's going to be ten dollars or it's going to be this and it's going to be available to certain people after taxes or whatever it is, then I don't think we get the full buy in from people uh, across the province. And I think this will help that.
0: You mentioned employment earlier, and I want to get to that and some of the impacts that we think this is going to have on on people. But before we get there, I, I want to make sure that listeners understand the components, because you outlined a couple of components of this plan and why it's important that all those components need to be there. So we talked about a capital expansion. Mm-hmm. So sounds like a lot of building. There is a labor component. So making sure that we have enough people. And I think a lot of people think of childcare as just like, okay, well, can we just like build a bunch more child care centers and, or like give parents money. Like w- why is it important to have a as broad an approach as, as you do? Why, why can't we leave it to the market and just give parents more money mm-hmm. to pay for their high childcare fees?
4: Yeah,
3: I mean, I don't think that's the solution. Uh, I think we need to learn from other provinces and what they've done, right? A lot of people like to cite Quebec as an affordable model. Uh, and while it might be affordable, it's not accessible. People can't access those spaces that happen to be 8 or $12 a day. And that's a huge problem, right? We're talking about increasing the capacity capacity to a system province-wide, and you know one that's 75% done through the not-for-profit sector, through schools, through places like the YMCA, but it's not enough. And in order to expand that capacity, we need to include the private sector, we need to include home care providers, but we're talking about licensed care, right? We're talking about making sure that the quality is high. And there already is a number of reporting mechanisms through the government, so the government already has a hand in this. There's no reason we can't up the standards and say, you know, this is what you're going have to pay your ECEs. This is the type of ratios that you're going to have. And this is what we've learned from other examples around the world as to how to deliver this. I think it's just kind of arbitrary that we decided to start funding, you know, early childhood education at five a few years ago before we introduced kindergarten. And then we introduced kindergarten and we introduced full day kindergarten. And you know, wh- when when do we draw that line? I don't see why we don't do it from the, you know, after parents need to go to work if they choose to.
2: I want to go back to, and we talked about this on the pod before, right? When, when, um, you're we being critical of the budget and the investments that came out of the Ford government for the tax credit. And I was talking about- Which helps it,
3: nobody, which, which was the worst option possible, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. Cleveland was talking about, these are the different options that you could do for childcare and the worst possible option is a tax credit.
2: Yeah. And you, you and I, Alvin, actually have even talked about this, like what it's like yeah. as a parent sort of, and you and I, like we come from a pretty, like what always blows my mind is like, we're the lucky ones. Like we have good household incomes and we've like looked at household budgets and looked at sort of like, how do you manage? this. Like it's been hard for us and I can only imagine how other families, how families are managing this, how you look at your household budge- budget and manage these costs. And it, it sort of hurts to think that effectively we're saying you can't afford a child. Yeah. That's a, that's a cruel thing. I, I just wanted to kind of go back to that and say when you, and when as a government, you put a little bit of money out there to give people a little bit more spending money that A doesn't cover it and doesn't actually make having a child affordable. Then what you do is you drive up the cost without improving demand. If you're not on the capital side, then building it it out, then mm-hmm. you just drive up the cost and create more demand without improving supply.
0: I think most people in a budget document will read, oh, I'm going to get some more money for childcare. That's great. That That's helpful. But with, um, we're
3: trying to fix the whole problem. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a huge problem, not just on supply, not just on demand, not just on capital and, and on labor. And so that's why we took months to come up with this and to make sure we talked to all the right people in the sector. One of the things I want to talk about is the economic impact, because yeah. I think so many people, especially progressives, we need to get better at talking about programs, talking about social programs that we feel help people, that other people see as spending programs, that we need to talk about it as economic programs. We're talking about a return of $2.4 for every dollar invested in childcare, and that's there's been a lot of research on this that was done by Deloitte on top of the numerous academic and government studies on the subject. But the return is enormous. I think we need to talk about these programs as economic programs because people need to see that there's a huge benefit to them. Six and a half billion dollars to the economy if we do this program. That's over 800 million dollars in additional government revenue. And what I think is the most important number, 40,000 more people in the workforce in Ontario. And to be honest, nearly all of them are going to be women. And they're going to be women who are choosing to work if they want to, either full or part time and trying to balance their childcare and their work life. And that's good. We should give people that choice. People don't talk about this as there's a bit of a social underpinning here where we're talking about childcare, not being taken care of for years, because some people have this inherent belief that it's still the responsibility for women and for mothers to raise kids. And as a father who spends a lot of time raising his kids, because my wife is a, a nurse and who works shift work, you know, that's so unfortunate. And we want to solve the gender wage gap. We want to solve a bunch of things. This is listed as the first thing that we need to address, which is childcare. Right. And that's what I want to do here.
2: It's, um, and it's also, um, you know, for that potential for for families to be able to manage their budgets and make choices about how they can how they can manage the cost of living. I mean, I talk about the generation squeeze and Paul Kershaw at UBC and how like all these pressures that families are facing. But then also thinking of the report coming out of U of um, RBC um, Humans Wanted and how there's a major uh, uh, labor market shortage. Right, we need people in the workforce to keep our economy going. I think back when the when we were first talking about uh, child care investments a year ago or talking about the child care plan a year ago and, and the preschool plan, I talked to John Stackhouse at RBC about this and he was like, bang on, he looked at this and said this makes perfect sense. this is exactly what this is exactly what we need in Canada.
0: I will just note that one of the other things I took away from the Cleveland report, I think very helpfully mentioned, is that historically projections of the economic impact of increasing uh, gender parity in the workforce have underestimated the impact of greater participation of women. And that's just a point I wanted to mention. Um,
1: <laughs> one of the linkages I see between what Alvin said about, you know, having more women in the workforce and, and just the way that we think about the role, like who has the role of raising children and is it, you know, women's work or is it something that we as society need to take responsibility for? I think that ties back well to this question about universal versus you know some kind of partial subsidy program because the message the fundamental message you're sending is a, is a different one about the role of the society uh, depending on which of those you choose and sometimes those decisions of should it be universal or or not come down to you know how much money we have but if you think about it from the perspective of like what you know what's the message we want to send? What's the culture we want to change here? What are the the rights and 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 roles in society we want to recognize as being more than they have been in the past? You know, you need to go to that universal step because of that deeper message you're sending about we as a society are going to take on the responsibility of raising children, and it's not just going to be something that falls uh, automatically to expectations about women, which are which are are dated and need to change.
0: I want to switch a little bit to the politics of this, I Alvin. Mean, you've been around politics long enough to have probably heard the commonly held wisdom that child care doesn't pull well and doesn't win votes. I, I'm guessing that's probably not true in this room, but but it is out there. And your plan is built on one that apparently didn't compel voters as recently as you are. I mean, the, a lot of the recommendations in the Cleveland report and universal uh, free pre-K was in the last liberal platform. And uh, I guess like, why are, the, why are the doubters here wrong? Or are you just bent on a proposal that will uh, not attract votes?
3: Yeah, when I'm spending, you know, 12 hours a day on the road, I ask myself the same (laughs) Um, I mean, one of the things I love about politics is that everyone has these truths or axioms that they believe to be infallible, right? I mean, it's always been done this way, or you'll never get young people to vote. And that's true until it isn't. And then that becomes a new norm until someone changes it again, right? You win one way, and then the next election, you win a different way. And I think that we're in one of those moments with young people right now. And I'm defining young people as people under 40, millennials, Gen Y, or whatever you want to call it. Because we voted twice as much in the last election than we did in the previous election. We're going to vote even more this time around. And we're now at the point where people under 40 outnumber the boomers, which is crazy because we've Mm -hmm. seen decades of government policy (laughs) geared towards baby boomers. And I was talking to uh, the the folks at um, Generation Squeeze as well. And it's finally time for the next generation to take some ownership over what's happening in the world because it's royally messed up. That's one of the reasons I'm running as well, because I think it's time for our generation to stand up and say, we're invested in what is happening in our province. We want to control our future. And we want to say in terms of what happens. And we're facing an affordability crisis where wages have stagnated for the last 30, 40 years. Housing has become unaffordable. We've got more student and personal debt than any other generation before. We've got three to five careers in our lifetime. There's irreversible climate change, a provincial government that's now wasted Billions and billions of dollars canceling contracts for green energy, putting beer in corner stores and ridiculous patronage appointments. So we need to start somewhere big. And I think childcare, which is now $20,000 a year, is the place that we absolutely need to start. We don't have an OSAP program or an RESP program for parents to afford childcare even though it costs more than my mortgage payment or more than college and university tuition. We don't think of it that way. Why did we start this age of four to start taking care of our children? Why do we continue to expect women to do that work? And I think this plan takes a big hit to fight the gender wage gap. And I think it will help tens of thousands of families across Ontario make their lives more affordable. And I think it'll grow an economy. So I say to the doubters, why haven't we done this already? And how do you not see that this is a huge priority for families?
0: I I, I think there's a... Thing that happens with policy that is seen to affect a specific generation, it is worth paying attention to, and I, I don't, I think necessarily seeding to or like, but I, I think you saw this when Elizabeth Warren rolled out her student loan debt forgiveness proposal in the states. People who had paid off their student debt. Yeah. It pulled badly with because they said there's this thing that happens where it's like, well, I paid. Why should you get a break? Is there
2: not a term for that? There has to be like intergenerational resentment. If that doesn't exist, let's just agree to invent it. Yeah. Okay.
0: I do see a risk of it. People saying, well, you know, like, I paid for this. It wasn't so bad.
2: Well, this is what's really interesting about this policy and what and what's interesting about what Alvin's built out on it. Mm-hmm. Like this is really good fiscal policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that didn't come through in the last election. And I think in fairness, there's a lot that did not come through in the in the last election. Um And I'm really glad to see you bring it back, Alvin, for that reason, because I'm hoping we can have another discussion about it in a context where there's a little more room to talk about this. Because this was a childcare plan built by an economist. This is a childcare plan. And I'm I'm glad you went back to Gord Cleveland because it's actually brilliant what you've got here, right? Because... There's this. There's all these needs we've got to get answered eminently right in bringing in bringing more people into the workforce, in answering the generation squeeze problems, and that building out from the preschool spots and building out in the toddler spaces and answering all these problems around parental leave will have huge benefits for parents and for children that do have a major ROI that we badly need.
4: I also think just to pick up on Alvin's point about like it's. Not possible until it's done. Like, I think it's worth remembering all the discourse that led up to our introduction of full day kindergarten and how, you know, the Tories called it a shiny car that we couldn't afford, accusations of babysitting and, and you know, that the take up wouldn't be what people thought and that, you know, people would stay at home. And we even built not enough space in the end because the participation was 96% or something like that, which exceeded everybody's expectations. And now if you talk to people in kids, the kindergarten age, nobody is talking about, you know, rolling that back. And when the Tories even sort of uh, flirted with that, like it's become part of the Ontario ethos yeah. that it will exist. And so there are countries around the world that have universal child care. And I think it doesn't take much imagination to imagine a different world for our two and three year olds. And so I just think it's good that there's political leadership that continues to paint that picture for people, even if to your point, Chris, not every generation wants to hear that.
3: But I mean, how limited of a view do you have to have to not see the value of education for younger people, right? I mean, to think that it's just babysitting, like, what are you, where's the value that you're placing on on that type of work, right?
2: People struggle with that, though. Still,
0: and I, I think we are seeing, like across politics, a yearning for a time when we weren't so anxious. And you know, probably you could probably write a lot of papers on what is making people so anxious right now. And yeah. it's just, uh, but, like, there is like a you know, things were fine before; they're bad now. If we just go back to the policies we had before.
3: Another thing that Sam raised, though, was that you know the spending. People are saying people you know like to know how much is this going to cost? Where are we going to find the money? We can pay right now for every preschool child in Ontario to have universal child care if we didn't cancel the beer store, uh, the 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 beer and corner stores deal. Right? Yeah. I mean, that would pay for an entire year worth of this. Yeah right? We're talking about a government that's spending $3 billion on a tax credit for the highest income quartile in the province, right? Like all that money could go to pay for this tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? It's all about priorities. It's all about saying, this is actually going to grow the economy. This is actually going to help families. This is actually going to get more people working. And we need to voice those those reasons to people so that they see that between our plan and the conservative plan, because it's so easy to sort of Oppose the plans that they've been doing because they don't really have a plan. But we need to propose them with something different that says this is so much of a better plan.
0: Switching gears, the Ford government has been making cuts to childcare and there has been a lot of back and forth, particularly between Toronto City Hall and Queen's Park. Earlier this month we learned that Queen's Park is borrowing its childcare policy from Kevin Costner in a field of dreams if you build it, they will pay kind of way. Breaking yet another election promise, Doug Ford is rolling back the childcare capital expansion plan put in place by the previous Liberal government and trying to put the blame on municipalities. The problem is saying it will only honor capital commitments. So it's like promises to build new child care spaces if municipalities and school boards can come up with operating funding to run them by August 30th. And you know, it's not like they're doling out lots of new money to school boards and municipalities to pay for that. For Toronto alone, that is about $35 million a year or more than the profit margins of Waterworld. Lots of digs on uh, <laughs> Waterworld. I mean, deserve a digs. Um, you really dancing
1: with wolves there, Kate.
2: I know. I know, but a little bit racist. So I I
0: jumped. I didn't do that. Uh, Just checking in with you guys. Who typically pays for childcare centers? And could do we think this is an effective strategy for Queens Park in passing off some of the blame for these cuts? Like, do we think people are going to buy it?
2: So no, Um, I think, um, I mean, like probably a best shot at trying to pass this off. So childcare really, there's a bit of municipal funding that goes in pretty small amount. And there's a bit of a I should say the feds do put some money in, but that also flows through the province. So really ultimately this operating money comes from the province. So for the Ford government to say, okay, we're going to still offer capital dollars to build out these childcare centers and then say, Hey, you know, municipalities, you need to come up with the operating dollars for these things still to go forward is like me dropping off my three and six year old at the X and dropping, taking them to the X, dropping them off at the gates and then telling them you got to pay for your own ride tickets, guys. Um, And if you don't come up with the money by some arbitrary deadline, then we're all going home. (laughs) Like there's just no viable way for this to happen. And it's actually kind of cruel. And what's happening right now in Toronto, as we discussed before, like there's every there's a huge shortage. I think there's about 14,000 people on the wait list now for subsidies.
3: I was on that list for two years.
2: (laughs) Right. And I just want to give a shout out to like all the really desperate people who the moment they were found they found out they were pregnant, gone on these lists and are sort of hoping and praying and checking in every day. And they need to go back to work to be able to afford their rent and to afford their homes and to afford their lives. And right now the Ford government's playing a game with the childcare system. It's cruel.
4: So while I of course agree with everything Kate just said, I do think On the pure politics of it, as most cuts go, most people don't know that, you know, various centers were promised in their backyard um, and are not going to notice something they didn't know they were going to get. And so I can, you know, understand on the pure brass tacks of the politics why they are um, doing it the way they're doing it. But I also think there's something about the politics of the public health cuts that got So much uh, public attention, such that they had to walk them back, and then walked back some of the childcare cuts. With that, that I am not sure they will go through in the end with the public health changes. Would be my guess. Uh, I think they'll think it's not worth the heat. And to the extent that childcare is saved through that, not wanting to take on the municipalities again, I think that that will be a happy, happy accident.
2: But I think for anyone who's the the person I described, who's on the wait list right now. Who's like trying to get a spot? You know that it did didn't that the Ford governments not helping you.
4: Fair enough. It's just not a huge group compared to the electorate. Um, to
2: just fourteen thousand.
4: That's right. I do think there's an important the, the, in the
0: the general strategy of things because we've seen them do this in other files too, like public health, where they, you know, cut something and put the blame on on the municipalities. And I think they have like several times now sort of forgotten that municipalities have a huge megaphone with which to fight back. It's amazing to me to see them go back to that playbook because it didn't work for them before. And also we're now seeing the federal liberals capitalize on this by basically putting out all these statements about we're going to work directly with municipalities to transfer funds because the province is not being an honest broker between. And I think the awareness, whereas I think maybe like before they implemented this strategy, people probably didn't know that municipalities were were creatures of the province and completely controlled by the province. I think as these fights roll out, the public awareness of that relationship and how much of the municipal world is shaped by Doug Ford and the provincial government is raising in public consciousness, which is probably a good thing long term.
3: But I mean, to Sam's point, I think the issue of when you don't, when you haven't built out those spaces, you haven't given people the benefit yet, and you talk about it as the plan, it's really easy for the next government to just like, "Eh, no, we're not going to do that. And we're going to blame someone else for not providing these spaces and download essentially, which is why when we when we did full day kindergarten, it was really important that we had at least a year of full implementation, where everybody saw that this was something that was actually happening. And they saw the tangible benefits that were coming out of it.
2: I mean, that's the interesting thing, though. I mean, that's the sort of kind of to go back to what we were saying about The politics of childcare more broadly. And I think some, some of the problem in this is that we've never really been able to, no one's really been able to implement some of this. I think the crux is once you get going, because really quickly people see this as like, it was ever this, this is, this is the thing we have. And once you, once you put it out into the world, parents are like, don't take it away. And I think childcare has just never had that moment.
3: People are thinking about not having kids because they can't afford to.
2: No, people don't have kids. And then actually the interesting thing, I wonder if you've seen this about Alvin, Alvin, in Ontario, what what I've seen a lot is people spread their kids out four years. Right. Because they can't afford to have two kids in care. Yeah,
3: which we've done. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. You know, maybe not smart for us, but, you know, spending $35,000 a year on childcare for four years because we had overlapping kids for four years uh, was just crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but you can't afford to be on a mat leave and have a kid in care. So you have one kid put them in and then once the other one's in full day kindergarten then you can go back out and have another one rich people have three you're you're yeah you you wealthy guy with your three kids
0: (laughs) it's a rich people propagation scheme
2: Yeah. post like 2010, when full-day kindergarten was implemented, was there an increase in the proportion of kids who were spread out by four years? Hmm. And I would bet there was a significant increase in that age spread post 2010.
0: I'm going to send this to uh, Ontario Loud University Cole. and <laughs> yeah. um, get our, our top researchers on it. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. want to send a big thanks to Alvin Tejo for coming on the pod to talk childcare. I actually really liked this as a model to talk to the leadership candidates. Um, Well, I think sort of generic interviews about why you want to be premier and all that kind of stuff are good. I really like getting into an idea in a deep kind of way. So Michael Cotto, Stephen Del Duca, if you have big signature policy ideas that you want to talk about, we will give you a whole episode to do it. The invitation is open. Come on, we'll get into you for an Ontario Loud deep dive. Want to send another big thanks to Aisha Anwar. Aisha is an amazing writer and an amazing person who writes our social media copy. Her addition to the team has helped our voice online so much. So thank you, Aisha, for all that you have done for us. We will be releasing a few bonus episodes through August. Alvin actually stuck around for a little while after the interview on childcare, and we got into it on the new Star Trek card trailer. So that will be some quality content I'm excited to release. But from all of us at Ontario Loud, thank you so much. Have an amazing summer. Enjoy the weather. We will see you when it's sweater weather. Have a good week.